morning, everyone. Before we get started on today's message, um, I just wanted to acknowledge that for some people, Father's Day is not the easiest of days. Um, you can be a little bit ambivalent about it. There can be a bit going on in, in your life, in your experiences. And so we just want to take a moment to acknowledge it and to say that it's okay sometimes to have celebration moments that are tinged with a little bit of ambivalence, a little bit of sorrow perhaps, uh, or maybe regret. And our prayer is that you continue to journey into wholeness um, uh, uh, with Christ, in Christ, and in his family. That is our heart for you. And I'll, at the same time, I just want to point out that, that ambivalence comes because we actually somehow intuitively inside of us know how important fatherhood is. And, um, and that's why we want to still, even though we understand that some people might struggle through a day like today, we still want to celebrate because we want to celebrate the importance of fatherhood. We're not so much simply just celebrating men who have become dads biologically, but we really want to celebrate the role and the place of fatherhood. And our prayer is that as you uh, are part of the church family, that you will experience a godly fatherhood, uh, both from God, but also from his family. Uh, but so just acknowledging that, uh, you know, it might not be the easiest of uh, uh, times for you. And so we just want to take a moment and to pray over everyone. Uh, dear God, dear Heavenly Father, we know um, that, that we live in a world that is um, full of sin. And we, as individuals, we are all sinners as well. We haven't always lived a way that you have uh, called us to. And, and sometimes we suffer uh, the consequences of that, or sometimes sin happens to us, and we just pray that you are a God of healing, you are a God of restoration and wholeness, and so we pray that over every person, uh, both those who are here, but also those in our family who aren't here for whatever reason this morning, we just want to pray for your hand to be upon every single person, and we pray this in your precious name, amen. All right, well, um, so, so moving on with our celebrations this morning, we have a, a barbecue. Uh, actually, we got a gas bottle that didn't have any gas in it, and so uh, we will have food. <laughs> Cooked, wonderful, are they like hot dogs? Hot dogs for every person, uh, but dads eat first, so you have to prove your fatherhood. Um, I don't know how, DNA test, preferably. Um, no, dads will eat first, and then, of course, everyone else um, gets to have a good old, good old time eating together. We've also got a photo booth in the foyer, so families, take your shot together. And this is something that I think after becoming a dad, I've become far more uh, excited about because when you put the photos next to each other after, year after year, you can kind of see your family, how everyone's aged. Um, maybe it's not that encouraging. Maybe we shouldn't do it uh, anymore. <laughs> no, no, it'll be good fun. Uh, but the other day, I was doing a uh, jigsaw puzzle with Sam. Sam wanted to do a jigsaw, and it was this uh, jigsaw that had train, like had a train, had an ambulance, a police car, a plane, a motorbike, and a ship on it. It, it. He loves vehicles. He he loves all of this. And so we had this puzzle, and he said, "Daddy, can you help me with this?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And so we sat down uh, on the mat, and and we've done these puzzles before. This wasn't the first time. And normally, what would happen is that I'm basically saying, "All right, Sam, take that piece." And that goes over there, and then you watch him take about five minutes to do that. 
And then you tell him, this is the next piece, and it takes another five minutes for him to finally locate the piece that my finger is literally pointing at, and then he picks it up, and then he puts it there, probably in the wrong um, uh, side, and then he tries to push it. No, Sam, it's this way, and then you basically have to... I'm basically doing the puzzle. And that's how it normally would go. But this day, as we were doing this puzzle, to my surprise... Sam basically got it by himself. He did about 85% of it. I had to kind of, I still was kind of encouraging and instructing. He said, what would you like to look for? He said, oh, I want to look for the ship. So he said, we found the ship. We put the ship in the right place. I want to look for the plane. So we looked for the plane. He put the plane in place. He did it all. And because I was really surprised at how good he was at doing this, I was probably more than usual uh, really encouraging I was like, oh, wow, that's so good, Sam. And I, I genuinely was like, when did, you, when, when did your brain actually figure this out? Because we've done this a number of times, and it was always slightly painful, if I can be honest. Fatherhood is full of ups and is full of patience. And, um, and, and this, this is an activity that usually would take a lot of patience on my part, because I like getting things done, and Sam obviously doesn't. Um, but this time around, he got it done, and I was so proud of him. I was saying that to him. And, and I think something interesting happened because from there, he started carrying this puzzle around. It came on a board and he started carrying it around. And, and, and we were about to head off and he wanted to bring the puzzle in the car. And I was like, no, puzzle doesn't go in a car. <laughs> that's, a, that's a silly idea, Sam. I didn't say that. I said, no, we're not going to bring it. But he was like, he did not want to let this puzzle go. He held on to this puzzle. And as I was uh, reflecting on that uh, a while ago, I started to realize the link between my praise and my encouragement and how it made Sam feel. And when we think about this, uh, there's a psychological word called validation. Uh, there's some related concepts, affirmation. And, and psychologically speaking, when I was giving this praise to Sam, something was sparking off in his brain. Uh, psychologists would call it um, uh, uh, dopamine. It actually makes you happy. Sam was really, 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 really happy uh, that, that, that dad was saying, well done, uh, to the point where, psychologically speaking, he uh, would be more open and more vulnerable, if you will, to the trust and the relationship that I had with him. Me saying, well done, Sam, was more than just, you know how to do a puzzle. It was an affirmation and a validation of who he is as a human being and the relationship that we can have. And so it's a powerful, powerful thing, this idea of validation. And as I was uh, reflecting on this, something occurred to me, and Beck and I have been talking about this. My upbringing makes, makes me a little bit conflicted about this kind of validation. Because when I was growing up, I think it was in the era, it was in the 90s, and it was a time where uh, uh, self-esteem, everyone was talking about self-esteem. It was a time that everyone was like, hey, self-esteem is super important, and rah, 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 rah. And my church at that time uh, probably wasn't as open to uh, the whole idea of self-esteem. And so um, I, I, I witnessed my youth leaders um, talk about self-esteem in a way that was a little bit different to what I've just shared. You see, we started to talk about something called uh, uh, attention-seeking behavior. We talked about uh, uh, people uh, that, that would do things in our youth ministry that was 
are trying to seek attention. And say, so, oh, and you see the latest, oh, such an attention seeker. Anyone kind of had that kind of upbringing at that time? I think it was just a uh, self-esteem. Self-esteem is not that important. I never had self-esteem growing up. You don't need self-esteem. And anyway, and, and so like, you, oh, you know, that, that, that attention seeker. Oh, that attention seeker. And, uh, and they explained it this way, some of the leaders. They explained it that if you give a person who is seeking attention, the attention that they were seeking, they would then keep coming to fish in the same pond. They would keep coming back. You give an attention seeker attention, what do they do? They will keep doing the thing that you praise them for, that you acknowledge them for, and keep doing it, and, and you would be drained dry like that pickle. That's what our youth leadership team used to say. Oh, no, 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 don't give them attention. So what we would do, and I wasn't a youth leader, but I, that's what I witnessed, what would happen if a person was attention-seeking as, uh, as our youth leaders, leaders would uh, observe, they would ignore the person. When they tried to get the attention, they would be like... So that they would see that this attention-seeking behavior was not good. And the rationale behind it is that us as human beings are not meant to be getting this kind of validation from other human beings. We are meant to get this validation from God and God alone. And, and we can see this in the Bible. Uh, Attention-seeking, pleasing of people is a really dangerous concept, and the Bible explains it. We can think about King Saul, who literally lost his kingdom because he was just trying to please the people. And then we read in the New Testament in Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so in the Bible, sometimes we get this picture that on one hand, you can please God and live for God. And on the other hand, you can please people and live for people. And this is on like, it's like opposite poles. You can only do one and not the other. And that was what I grew up with. That was the kind of sense that I got about life, that I'm meant to only seek after God's approval, only seek after God's affirmation, only get my validation from God. And the Bible is clear that God is how we understand our worth. But over the last few years, I started to change in my perspective of this. And I started to think that maybe it's less about either or, and maybe there is just a little bit more complexity to this question. And particularly, um, a particular uh, passage that has become really dear to Beck and myself, as well as for our church, is found in Psalm 68, verses 4 to 6, which says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before Him. So, so David is all about praising God. Why are we praising God? Why are we specifically praising God in this psalm? It's because God is the Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows, is God in His holy habitation. He settles the solitary in a home, and He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the evil dwell in a parched land. And another translation says, God places the lonely in a family. God places the lonely in family. If we were to only get our validation and worth from God alone, we would not have a need for family. If God was 
only to be the only source of our validation, then what's the point of family? What's the point of having uh, like the immediate family, the unit of the family with moms and dads? What was the point of having a community of a church if all that we ever needed was validation from God alone? Because this is kind of conflicting, God. God gives us validation, maybe not just literally from Him alone in a one-on-one relationship, but maybe we get our validation, maybe we get our healing and restoration, maybe we get a more true sense of who we are in the community of God. I started to think about this, and it really, really troubled me because I felt like there was this conflict in my heart. Because I think that for people to live well in community, I've started to see that the Bible contains all sorts of verses about how we are meant to live together. Firstly, we are meant to love one another as Christ has loved us. What did Jesus do? Jesus had 12 dudes, man, and he hung out with them all day. And he would often praise them. He would often rebuke them. He would do life with them. They would eat together. They would live in community. He would encourage them when they were doing something great. He would empower them and speak into the promise and the call of God on their life. That's what Jesus did. And he said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples if you're doing the same thing that I've been doing. We are meant to live with one another. We are not meant to feel guilty when someone encourages us. We are not meant to feel, oh, oh no, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. For... You know, one of my, uh, well, my, my pastor, I served with him for many years, but I started to observe this over the last few years. He is really liberal with this phrase, and, and there are times that I struggle with it. There are times that I'm like, Is it okay to say that? And is it okay to receive that? Because he would say this, I'm so proud of you. And I noticed that he would go around to many young people and say, oh, I'm so proud of you. People would share with him about what they've accomplished and what they were trying to do and say, oh, buddy, I'm so proud of you. And there was a part of me that was like, "Are are are we supposed to be doing that? But the more I journey through life, the more I see that God places us in family. And psychology actually tells us that family is not so much about the roof over our heads. And it's not so much about the food on the table. It's not so much about the clothes that we wear. The material stuff is low-level family. The greatest thing that family gives us is an identity and a sense of who we are. And it comes through validation. It comes through words of affirmation. It comes through us speaking and edifying and building one another up. There was this experiment done with monkeys, and sometimes we're not that different from them. But they took these little orphan monkeys, and they had two uh, uh, sides to this room, and they could choose either to have uh, a skeleton or like this, this metal Um, uh, uh, kind of like a mummy monkey. They could go to this metal mummy mummy monkey (laughs) and get food from it. Or it could go to this soft, cuddly, soft toy mum representative and get warmth and comfort. And we would think that as an animal, they would go for food. But without fail, the monkeys always went to the cuddly mummy 
that did not have any food to give, but gave warmth and gave comfort. We're not that different as human beings. Sometimes I think that in our Australian, Western, really wonderful uh, uh, country that we live in with so much prosperity, we think that all of these things are so important and necessary. But the science is showing us that while we need that to live, we don't need a lot of that to live. But what really builds us up, what really helps us to thrive, is a family where everyone is being built up. And isn't it interesting that the way that the New Testament instructs us on being a community is that we are meant to meet together regularly, to sing songs of encouragement and to remind each other about God regularly, to edify and to encourage and to build one another up. That sounds like family to me, church. We're not meant to be doing this out of religious practice, but we're meant to actually bring our hearts together. We are meant to live with one another in a way that we actually know what the weaknesses and the strengths are, where, where the sore points are and where the brokenness is, and how to encourage and to validate. You see, what I've learned is that, yes, our validation comes primarily from God. It comes firstly from God. If we get that out of whack, a lot of things get out of whack. When we, for, uh, when we forget that God is our priority and most of our worth, uh, in fact, our primary worth comes from God. He's the one who created us. He's the one who designed us. He's the one who redeemed us. He is the one who paid for us. He's the one who has adopted us. That is God. He is necessary. But um, on top of that, God places us in family where you get to build me up and I get to build you up. That's a necessary part of community. A community where we are not building one another up is not really a community. It's just some kind of committee that you're a part of. I've been part of many committees and sometimes it's a waste of time. But when we are in a community where the relationship is actually paramount to why we gather, everything changes. And we want to be a church that doesn't gather on a Sunday to be able to please God alone. We want to gather on a Sunday so we can look each other in the eye. We can see when someone is struggling and when someone is suffering and we can pray. We can gather around them. We can support one another. But we can also see to each other's uh, daily walk and understand, hey, that's actually going to be destructive for you and to actually do something about it. That is what the community is for. King David is known as one of the greatest kings, but one of the lousiest fathers in the Bible. So many of his kids did atrocities, even to their own father. And why? 1 Kings 1.6 gives us this understanding. It says about Absalom, his son, who went astray, who literally tried to kill David. It says his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? They kind of just existed in this fake harmony, in this shallow harmony, rather than actually doing life together. I wonder whether some of the things that we see in the church world that are gone wrong is because we have shallow relationships, that we have placed our own personal pleasure, as David did, not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to stir things up rather than to actually do life together. See, my aim in this message is 
to help us to practice family in a way that actually does glorify God and builds people up. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 17, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. (laughs) This is crazy. Listen to this. You do not have many fathers. I become a father, so do what I do. We sometimes take this as the whole imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is also true, which is also in the Bible, which is all about how uh, Paul lived his whole life for Christ, which is amazing. But specifically in this passage, what's he saying? Rise up, men, because there's not enough dads in your church. Rise up, men, because there aren't enough fathers in the house. Rise up, men, and you need to do what I did. What did I do? I gave up everything to build you up. I came to you. I spent time with you. I built you up. I also told you off. Not because I did not like you, but because I loved you. Because I saw what God was doing in your midst. We need a church full of fathers, and we need to allow the church to rise up and understand that this is necessary. The number of people, the number of young people who have left my ministry because I told them off. I tried to be a dad, and I'm not saying that I was perfect. There are times where I did it out of anger. There were times where I did things out of disappointment, and I'm trying to grow. I'm just trying to do my best. And the number of people who do not like being told what they don't want to hear, and so they leave. We are leaving the covering. We are leaving being parented in a spiritual sense, but not just in a spiritual sense. You know what? I actually think that we need to make sure that this is not the only gathering we have with the family. I think we need to have meals in our homes where we invite people who we see the potential and the call of God in. You know, the amount of feedback that Beck and I have gotten from us talking about the call of God and the gifts of God from last week, it's amazing. And it made me a bit sad because I was wondering, as a church, have we not spoken enough into the promise, into the call, into the things that each and every single one of us have been given? Maybe we need to do that more. Maybe we need to have as part of our language, hey, I see this in you. I see that you could be a teacher. I see that God has called you to bring the gospel. I see that God has, has allowed you to have a, a merciful heart. I see that God has designed you to do... What do we start talking to each other a little bit more like that? So, hey, and, and not proudly, not like I know better than you, but maybe humbly living and submitting to one another, as Ephesians tells us, maybe we can start to speak to each other and say, hey, I see something in you. But you know where those conversations happen? when there's vulnerability. You know how those conversations happen? When there's relationship. You know how those conversations happen? When time has been spent with one another. And so if you're coming in on a Sunday morning, leaving on a Sunday morning and not seeing the church family, we don't know you. We don't know how to speak into you. I'm speaking from a literal point of view. The number of people that I've tried to love, but I just don't know anything about you, it's like, it's hard. 
You know, when Sam was just a little blob, three and a half years ago, the only thing I could encourage him about was how cute he was. Because that's all I knew about him. You're so cute. Oh, you know, when he doesn't poop or all that stuff, oh, you're, at least you're cute. You know, it's like, that's all we got. But the more I get to know my son, the more his personality develops, the more I'm actually able to encourage other things about him. How does that happen? It's because I spend time with him. Sometimes when we come to the family, it feels like there are a whole bunch of shadows that flit in and flit out, and we don't know anything about you because we haven't spent time with you. Give us the privilege of being family. Give us the privilege of living the way that God has called us to. Give someone else in this church the privilege of speaking life into you. Give someone else the privilege of knowing who you are and the things that you struggle with because that admonishment is what is going to build you up, is going to make you strong. Our validation is not from God alone, because then we will all be cave monks. We will all be separated from each other, not needing to speak to each other. Go home and watch church on YouTube. There are churches with better worship and a better message. Seriously. That's not what the church is supposed to be, just a show on a stage. The church is meant to be a family of God with fathers and mothers speaking to one another. God places the lonely family. How does God become the father to the fatherless and the champion of widows? I believe in huge part, and I know that God's personal relationship with you is so, so important, but I believe in huge part is by having other human beings that can represent that in this earthly place. That's why we get birth into families right from the start. That's the ideal that God has in his heart, for the family unit to be strong. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when we say, well, the family didn't work, or my family's like this, and so, you know, what's the point? I'm still okay. No, you don't, you don't sound okay when you talk like that. And you know what? As adoptive parents, one of the things that we've learned is that the validation and the attachment and the worth that Sam gets from us is what allows him to actually have healthy relationships outside of our family. I wonder whether some of us need to heal up in a physical family with a mum and dad as representatives of God that then allow you to kind of see God and to repair that relationship as well. I've seen that happen many times. It's through the love of another human being that we've come to learn, understand the love of God. I'm not trying to say that the love of human beings are enough. We've already talked about the, disasters, the disastrous nature of not having God as our primary. But don't forget that God's wider is for family. In America, there was a research done about a really violent, a really broken community. And this research um, um, was done by, by the government. They commissioned someone to do it. And there was a little bit of worry about this because they thought it was going to become a racial issue. But the main issue that caused that community to go south was actually the lack of fathers. It was the lack of people, 
of men being in those homes, speaking words and validation, correcting the children. Our Australian population, uh, society is heading towards a place where families are being broken up. That's not news. We know that. Divorce rates are going up. Families are being broken up. And what we have as a church is an opportunity to stand in the gap, to be that place where God is willing to, in fact, excited to place those that need healing, that need restoration, that need mums and dads to come alongside them and to place them in family. So this is the call to rise up. It doesn't matter how old you are. I was 24 when I started a journey of saying, I need to start discipling someone else. I was 24, and I made so many mistakes. You know why? It's because you only learn from your mistakes, don't you? And so I've learned. I'm getting better, I think. But everyone has something to give to someone else. Even if you're coming alongside more as a brother or a sister, if you're just coming alongside as a peer rather than a parent, that's awesome. But can we release edification from our mouth, church? Can we build relationships that actually matter and lead to life change? Can we actually understand that God is our primary validator of our lives and He places us in family? Can we as a church not overlook when things aren't going well in someone's life? Can we try to care and the person runs away? I would rather that they run away from my care than they run away because I didn't do anything about it. I would rather that someone knows that I reached out in the time of need than to actually run away because their life is so broken and hasn't received the love and the affirmation that I could have given. There was this talk in, in a previous um, season where it's like, oh, you can only speak into someone's life when you have enough relationship. I think that is rubbish, because how do you build relationship? I speak into each other's lives. So chicken or egg, church? Well, why don't we just try building relationships, and along the way, the real kind of relationships we want are the ones that go, hey, that wasn't that great. And then at regular times, hey, that was amazing, and I'm so proud of you. And I want to put that as part of my vocabulary. I want to be able to champion people and say, hey, I've seen where you've been, I've seen where you're going, and I'm so proud of you. I've seen what you've done, I'm so proud of you. Even the little steps that people take, I'm so proud of you. I was saying that to my son who was doing a flipping jigsaw puzzle. He wasn't changing the world, he wasn't solving cancer, he wasn't sending a shuttle to the moon. He was doing a jigsaw puzzle. But even that step was a necessary step in his development. Necessary. So maybe we need to say to someone who actually made their way through those doors on a Sunday morning, I'm so proud of you. Maybe we need to actually understand what are the struggles that people have and to be able to speak when they are strong, but also to encourage when they are weak and to correct when they're wrong. I wonder what our church would be like if we do that. And you know what? As a dad, I know it's difficult to be present all the time. 
I know that sometimes I get home from work and being present is not the easiest thing in the world. It's like my head is full of stuff that I need to do, and I just want a moment to myself. But because I understand the calling of being a dad, I continue to show up. And so this morning, as we are closing, as much as we've been talking about the wider church family and how necessary it is, I also think that it's really important that we encourage dads who are here, who are present and who are trying, and who have tried and who have done the absolute best. Because you know what? Let's encourage one another. Let's validate the fact that sometimes things aren't easy. You know what? This is one of the things that I found that women talk about how difficult parenthood is all the time. Dads don't. Because dads, I think, we kind of just like, let's just get on to it. But sometimes parenthood is hard because it's a whole life that you are molding. There's a personality. And for some strange reason, God has created kids to have a desire, like really be really selfish. They only learn how to be selfless from the selfless example that their parents set. And that's why it's difficult to parent sometimes. And so this morning, I, I, I know mums are amazing and awesome. You had your day. <laughs> this is for the dads this morning. And so our host team, we're going to um, come round. We've got a little gift for every dad. If you see a dad next to you, just make sure that you get this little cup into their hands. It's not just a cup. There's chocolate in there. It's chocolate with coffee in it so that you can continue to show up for your kids. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.